I can't work like this. I had a nightmare, it wasn't scary. I got my nightlife, I got my soul. You got your best ball, your hairy carry. Hey, I got my skeleton, I got my skull. I got this feeling, I better get away. No time for slowing down. Gotta leave this town, no Welcome everybody to the road to Nerfdom. Hello. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good, Chris. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Have you heard of Andrew Yang? He's the he's a Democratic candidate for president. Yes, I have heard of Andrew Yang. And um interesting guy, I must say. He's definitely got a, a fresh voice as far as I can tell in right. politics, especially for going for president. You know, I gotta tell you, I'm not I'm not for socialist policies. Initially not knowing much about universal basic income, I was actually opposed to it, but I gotta tell you, after doing some research and learning about this guy. I'm actually like an advocate for what his plan is. I I would take it a step further, but that's how much I I was impressed by him. And yeah, what he had to say. Wow. I mean, yeah. I you know, from what I've heard of him so far, I am I'm not completely against it. I'm on the fence. You know, I don't. It's I in in general, I don't believe in stealing from someone to give to another right. but we're already doing that so I mean, right right if it could I just be like a step in the right direction he, maybe i don't think it's a solution but i think it's better than what we have well, i think makes, if i would do it yeah you know i would go a step further but um what's that step further well he explained he basically explained that there's 126 social welfare programs or something like over 125 in mm-hmm. the whole country total mm-hmm and um, what I would do, he said he wasn't going to get rid of those. He would just add the universal basic income. He calls it the freedom dividend. Right. That's yeah. what he calls it. It's more marketable. Definitely. So what I would do is take it a step further. I would eliminate those 126 programs, and I would just have the freedom dividend. I agree with that's, you. That's what I would do with it. That's, that's the one step of the criticisms I had. That's, that's the step that he's not taking. You know, and I would. I don't want to jump too far ahead because I, I know some of the things you might want to bring up today, but um, maybe we'll wait till we get to it. But yeah, the idea of stacking this freedom dividend onto the social existing security social security and stuff like that, but not necessarily not supplementing it necessarily. Like I, I, from what I understand, the freedom dividend will be there for everyone, but if you're already getting an equal amount of benefits through an, other social programs, you wouldn't get the freedom dividend. Right. Am I correct to say that? You would, but it wouldn't. If your social welfare, so basically all that social welfare, including the freedom dividend, it would not extend a thousand dollars a month hmm. per person. So if you were getting like five hundred from somewhere, it would, you know, they could only add another five hundred from the freedom dividend. So it wouldn't stack. Hmm. That's that's his thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, do you want me to just give you like a little background on him? Because yeah, this, go for it. This is a very interesting guy. He's not a politician. I'd also like he's to actually, say he's actually an entrepreneur. Yeah, an entrepreneur. Yeah. And it to bring it into the realm of identity politics, I'd love to see our first Asian president. Yeah, I think he's he's like a he actually was a very well-spoken guy. It seemed he even admitted that he doesn't care. He, it's not his goal to be president. He just wants people to talk about to raise the effects awareness. of automation and stuff like that. He thinks that, you know, if he doesn't win, that's it's not ideal. It's not optimal, but it, you know the message is more important. He just wants to. He doesn't want to see people suffer. So basically, he's hedged. He's hedged his bet by seeing it as well. Whether I win or lose, it would be worth it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Fundamentally, to get the message out, this is goal. It's just so much. He could do so much more if he actually became president. That's the thing. Oh, of course. That it's a long shot, but he's the only one talking about automation. And the effects in our economy. He's the only one. So I'll just go through some like, just like some small research that I did. So um, he was asked on a podcast why he wasn't running as an independent, and he actually, or he he was asked why he was running as a Democrat, mm-hmm. and he said his response was, "If I would run as an independent, I wouldn't have a shot." That's not how the electoral college is set up. So it kind of sounds like he kind of indirectly said that he's not really a Democrat. He's more of an independent. Yeah. And since he's not a career politician, 
he's an entrepreneur. He's he's run an NGO. He's run his own business. Yeah, I mean, those are he points in my school, book, you know. You know, so it doesn't seem like he's a Democrat in sort of, I guess, the political context of today. Middle of the just, road Democrat. Right, he's on like the, he's on the Democratic ticket. That's the thing. That's what it sounded like to me when I heard him respond to that. Well, and you and I know that, and that's just realistic. If he wants right. to make a realistic run for president, right. I mean, you know, Ron Paul didn't necessarily yeah, he, belong. He's not a Republican, yeah, really. he didn't really yeah, belong but there, but be, yeah, he had to be on there. So, um, so his parents are immigrants from Taiwan, and his father is actually, uh, I think, he has a PhD in physics, mm-hmm. and he's got uh, over sixty-four patents. I think uh, in the United States, and I think some of them were uh, General Electric, and it was another big company too. Wow! So his his parents are both pretty educated. Uh, he went to Brown University, and um, and Good then school. Columbia Law School. After that, he's from New York. Um, Brown kind of strikes me as the non non pretentious Ivy League yeah. school. That's where Thomas Sowell went. Oh, really? Or at least for his uh, undergrad. Undergrad. Yeah. Okay. And so basically he got out of law school. He was a corporate lawyer and he said that he was unhappy for five months and then he changed careers completely. He just didn't like it at all. And, um, which is kind of good. If you don't like it, then why do it? It takes a certain kind of person. Right. So then he describes himself as a serial entrepreneur and there were several different ventures that he started. Uh, the first one was a company called star giving and that basically, um, it's like he gets, he connects with like celebrities to help raise money for charity. Mm hmm. So he started that, and then that eventually got shut down. And then his next gig was well, he it was... got shut down. Um, something to do know. with Mickey Rourke? No, <laughs> no, I'm not sure why. I think he just he started it, and I think it just you know he kind of had a, like a small run, and he decided to move on from it. He was the person that started. He was the founder. I bet it's not fun dealing with celebrities. That probably that too, depending on the celebrity. But um, his next gig was gig was um. He became vice president of a healthcare, uh, a software healthware co- company. Uh, a what? It's a, it's a healthcare, a healthcare <laughs> uh, software. Yeah, yeah. It's it was a software company for healthcare. Got you. You know, to use in the healthcare industry. And then after that, he uh, started this company called Manhattan Prep, which was about helping kids prepare for uh, academic testing, and that was actually bought out by Kaplan. Oh, so he probably made some good money from that. Um. So he's a greedy capitalist. No, no. Well, this is where the non-greedy part comes in, Mike. So his next thing is a it's a it's a nonprofit called Venture for America that he started, and what they do is he recruits top college grads all all over the country, mm-hmm. and he basically pulls. He feels like in urban areas like the big cities, Chicago, New York, L.A., they get the best college recruits typically because that's where all the jobs are so he this this kind of venture for america he would take top top college grads and he'd put them in cities like cincinnati detroit things like that to try to bring more human capital to those economies those local economies yeah and um kind of even the spread right so his his argument was that all the best college graduates are just being funneled into the same corporate jobs in like new york basically stuff like that big cities and that the other cities are losing out yeah so he ran that and he said that um he said it was great. He said it was a great experience and it really helped the local economies of just bringing these, you know, top level college grads. And um he ended up stepping down as CEO of that in 2017 to prepare for this presidential run in 2020. Wow, you know, so he strikes me as someone who is legitimately good at solving problems. Right. And therefore is going to bring some legitimate right. solutions to the So table. he's had a couple ventures here that have been successful and he also did the nonprofit and he's from New York. He's well-educated, but I mean, through this venture for America, he's dealing with like places in Ohio, you know, places in Michigan, like blue collar cities that have kind of become defunct. And you know, how many, um, how many politicians actually give a damn about blue collar people? You know, obviously it's part of the rhetoric, but how many of them are like right. that? That's is that's a creative solution. Actually, what it is is it's, it's a creative look at an issue um, that I don't think a lot of people probably consider. You know, right. uh, when the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. You know, that's right. kind of like it's almost a law of nature that it goes in line with the Pareto distribution. Um, cities that already have a lot of human capital are going to suck right. in more. Right. You know, so it's just kind of like to. You know, it's like a gra- the law of gravity. Right. You know, it's Compounds. bigger. Bigger bodies yeah. are gonna get bigger by pulling more in. 
Well, I think this actually makes him pretty well-rounded, and it seems like, you know, he's got a pretty good moral compass. You know, he was a lawyer for five months, and he's like, no, this isn't for me. And, you know, he ends up being the CEO of a, a pretty well-respected nonprofit that created a lot of jobs in, you know, low-income low areas. Yeah, so there weren't just, it wasn't just creating jobs. It was like there was a meaningful creation right. of jobs. You know, and he only left that so that he could run for president because he sees this looming problem of automation displacing all these people in kind of the blue-collar right. you know, economies. And that's what brings us to the crux of his campaign. Yeah. Oh, here's another, this is another thing. So he knows a lot of people from Silicon Valley, and he was actually an advisor for the Obama administration. For on, He was on a panel. It was the Presidential Ambassador for Global Entrepreneurship Panel in 2015. Wow. So he ended up on that. And he's he's a young guy, right? He's 44. Oh, he's 44. He's 44, I think, yeah. That's young. For a presidential candidate. Yeah. I mean, he's I, done a lot. I mean, you got to figure he yeah. went to law school. So, I mean, I'll take anyone who's not freaking 70 years old. Yeah. <laughs> like all these other them, people yeah. they're trying to give us. Yeah. So then he starts, his main thing is the freedom dividend, basically. And how he's, he explained that it's going to work is everyone over the age of 18 is going to be eligible to receive $1,000 a month. Even if you haven't, even if you're employed, you're still going to get it. Mm-hmm. If you're over 18, you're going to get it. Uh, but it will not stack on top of the current welfare if someone's received. And people have reached out to him to see if there's like a cap on it. Like if it cuts off at like 64 for like social security and stuff Mm -hmm. and there's no official response on that yet. So the way I understand it is there is no cap on the age. It's just 18 and up till you die. Yeah. So his argument. Oh, and it's, it's by individual. So like there's like a family of four, that means that each individual receive, you know, a thousand dollars a month every month so that would be four thousand dollars a month as a household if it was like a family of four as long as the person's over 18 there right yeah that's true yeah Yeah. so that's that would be forty eight thousand dollars a year now it doesn't matter what i guess the plan so far and of course you know i'm gonna expect that these terms are subject to change right right now he's just he's basically just dreaming it up well i I can explain how he's gonna pay for it he actually had a good explanation on how to pay for it. I just, I just imagine, though, there should be a cutoff where it's like, okay, if you make $50,000 a year. He said you can opt out if you want. Yeah, yeah. He also said you can just give it away. He says he thinks a lot of people will just give it away. Like people that already have money, they'll just donate it. Yeah. That's See, that's like his whole argument. His then they argument, should let, let you deduct the donation, too, from your taxes, right, and that'll just be right. further... See, that was yeah. his thing, because people are saying, like, how are you going to get this to be paid for? And he's what he's saying is it's not going to just disappear. He says a lot of it's going to stay in the economy. He right. said, like, people that don't have any money, they're going to take that money and they're going to spend it on things that they need. So they're probably, like, the real low-end people, they're going to be spending all of it on stuff they need, food, clothes. They're going to use it all? Right. So it's going to yeah. go back in the economy. It's not going to leave our economy. And he says that, like, the richer people, they can donate it, stuff like that. Um, and he mentioned how Alaska already has a form of the universal basic income for the last 37 years that's subsidized by oil revenues. And I think it's an annual payment of about approximately $2,000 a year. So you looked that up, right? Because yeah, I, uh, yeah, before, yeah, I was, t- I was speaking to a friend, a mutual friend of ours who lives in Alaska Yeah, and yeah, he, I, I brought it up to him. I was like, yeah, I heard Alaska does it, does the universal basic income. He was like, eh, it's like. You get two grand at the end of the year, yeah, and it gets paid for through, yeah, like everything you just said was right. It's a little, but it's that's a little different from what we're talking about. Right, obviously. he's talking about something significant. He's talking about twelve grand a year, right? Well, that's because it's you know that's the difference between the federal nation and Alaska too. Yeah, you see what I mean. So we have more, and honestly, Alaska, it's kind of a state on its own. The yeah. the mentality up there for the most part is they're Alaska, right. and the rest of us are the United States. Yeah. It's kind of like that. that for a lot of people. He was he was dropping some names too. This Andrew Yang, he's dropping. He said, you know, there's been advocates of the universal basic income. Everybody from Thomas Paine, Milton Freeman, Martin Luther King Jr. No, that's where I've got. I gotta speak up a little bit because I have um, listened to at least one instance of Milton Friedman talking about a universal universal basic income. Sorry. Right. And from what I gathered from listening to him, 
He didn't necessarily say, oh, let's do this, we should have it. He was explaining that it would be far better right, than the efficient. current, yeah, way more efficient than the current welfare right. system because of it, it giving people the freedom to do what they want with that money right. as opposed to that money getting, right. has to be applied to certain expenses. That was, that was the point that he made when he was, he said that there are some libertarians that like it because you have the freedom to do what you want with it. So, yeah. And he also, this is another thing that I really like that he said. He basically, he came out and he said straight out that the government, the only thing the government is good at is, is sending paychecks to people <laughs> during tax season. I love that. So I was, I was just happy to they hear that. They are pretty good at that. They got mine back to me pretty quick. I mean, when was the last time you heard a, a politician say something like that? Especially a Democrat. True. So that, that was like, I like, I like to hear that. Yeah. Democrats, the party of, oh, government can do no wrong. So he Unless was, it's a he Republican. went even, he went pretty far into like, you know, the benefits of this. And some of it, I guess you could say is, you know, questionable, but he basically said that a lot of that money would just go right back into the economy. So it'd be like a stimulus, but instead of it being a stimulus, like in 2008, where all the banks and financial institutions and the big corporations get it, it's the individuals in the society get it. Bottom up. seems, yeah. 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 He called it a trickle up economy instead of trickle down. And, um... He also he also pretty much said that it would be in, an incentive for people to stay out of jail because yeah. you don't get it when you're in jail. And I get that too because you know you have something to look forward to. You got at least a thousand dollars a month. So even if your situation's really bad, you know if you get out of jail, you get it. But if you're in jail, you don't get it. It's free money, not really, but you know it's something something to look forward to. Because he explained a lot of people don't have they don't have anything to look forward to. Especially these people yeah. that are losing their jobs to automation. They're just like beside themselves, depressed, like suicidal, using alcohol and drugs. And he said that this, this he said it's not a solution, but it's something that can be a stepping stone to it's help a, alleviate this. Also, like kind of a buffer. Yeah. Just to, to soften the blow of what's to come. And right. apparently what's to come is... He was very clear is... about it. It's not a solution. It's not a solution yeah. to this. But it, he said no one else is even discussing this. He's Yes, exactly. So that's the thing. We have a looming problem that is not being discussed. Right. And he's positing that it's much worse than anyone is oh, willing yeah. to admit. He said when he was on... He said in the Obama administration on their last day in office, one of the last days, they released a study and it said by 2030, 83% of our jobs will be at least subject to automation in some way. Yeah. Not that they would be automated, but they'd be subject to it potentially. And that's, and basically you're talking about jobs that account for about half of all the jobs. That's right. Right. Yeah. And, and everything from like food work, food service. Yeah. To here's call here centers and driving's the biggest one, right? Yeah. It's truck drivers, transportation, food industry, and prep administrative and clerical work, manufacturing, and retail and sales. Those are the big ones. He said that's about half of the jobs in the economy today. They're the most common jobs. Um, he said the idea that we can retrain everybody and put them in STEM fields doesn't really work. He says that the numbers on retraining people are horrible. He says people just a lot of people just can't be retrained. Also, it just isn't that big of a sector, right? Yeah, it's 8%. The yeah. STEM fields is like 8% of the economy. So even if we could retrain everybody... It's there. Not everybody would get jobs. You're not going to grow the demand for it just by right. making pe- more people. Right. Yeah. Um, Have you heard of this thing that people? I guess it's like controversial, but it, people are throwing it around. They're saying, "Learn to code." Have you yeah, heard about that? Yeah. It's kind of funny. I not don't. Everyone I don't, can do that. I tried to do no, that. Yeah, damn right. Neither can I, man. I, it's not for everybody. I am not cut out for that. You have to have a certain brain to do to have. You have your mind has to work a certain way. To be good at it, proficient. I mean, and make yeah, a you just got to be motivated to want to do something like that. It's a little bit of, of obsessive to me to be staring at a computer that long right. to do those types of things. But for those who do that, thank you. Yeah, because I don't want to do. Well, that. He was saying that a lot, a lot of it is like unskilled labor that's going to be automated. But he said like law clerks, radiology, um, even some computer programming is going to be automated eventually. He basically explained it when he talked about like reaching the full potential on automation, this new kind of industrial revolution that we're having with the automation and the AI. He said he described it as we're already in the third inning. Yeah. So out of nine. Out of nine. Yeah, out of nine. So it's not like this is something that's gonna happen. He says we're like in the midst of I bet he's a Star Trek fan. Maybe. I don't know. You know what? Um it's funny, you know, Amazon's in the news a lot, and they're kind of like they're they're this company that is 
poised to bring a lot of new jobs, right. you know, to wherever. Um, I worked briefly in an Amazon sortation center, and it's funny because, like, I, a lot of people work there, and I think it's a great opportunity for, like, it's easy to get a job there, right? And it's yeah. it's it's well above minimum wage. Right. At, you don't least, need, at least where we are. You I'm, don't need a college degree. You need a high school diploma or a yeah, GED. pass a drug test, you're in. Right. Um, but those centers, like, you have the fulfillment center that packs stuff up, the sortation center, um sorts the mail to be going out the packages and whatnot and they're both kind of half and half as far as automation yeah. and people I, mean, I wonder wow. you know if maybe in the future these centers will be fully automated right i do imagine there's gonna at least has to be a few people there because you know we talk about human error well is it true is it <laughs> true that they have automated like error. automated like forklifts and stuff is that true you know what it is and i didn't actually go into this building ever but i've heard i know people who work there they've got robots that they kind of they're kind of like a forklift they're, it's like <laughs> i'm probably not describing it perfectly but the, you ever seen a roomba those vacuums that go around vacuuming yeah. the floor yeah i think they kind of look like that because right. what happens is you've got these like shelves Mm-hmm. that are kind of like um it's like a square a tall you know square shelf right and these thing these robots drive under them and pick them l- up pick them up and then move them to where they have to go in the in the place wow yeah wow that's pretty and i think that's pretty cool um but you wouldn't see that unless you work there you see what I'm saying? Or watch South Park. There's a great right, South right. Park episode, and the guy got killed by him. Oh yeah, but that's that was silly. I mean, I do think people have died from things, but people got injured. Hey, that happens in warehouses, man. You know, factories yeah. and warehouses, bad things happen. And then in the sortation center, there's a lot of AI that goes into sorting, but like the people that are in there are kind of like they're just at little steps of the way to correct errors, you know? Right. Because, you know, as as, as good as the AI is at sending packages to different parts of the warehouse, there's mistakes. Yeah. You know? Wow. And then actually, and obviously, it's the people that are the final step in stacking these things onto pallets. Right. Because that actually turns out to be a lot more of a complicated cognitive task than you right. think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Being able to stack a pallet with, like, these randomly shaped packages that are coming in in a random order you know what i mean yeah i understand yeah i can see that it's kind of interesting yeah because there yeah there's definitely you know there's still things that ai cannot do yeah master for sure yeah far from it i mean and then you know in the future when it is where we are at that point you know is it gonna be ultimately good or ultimately bad for us well the one of his points like for example when he was talking about you know, like the universal basic income, he said it's going to save a lot of money. So like he said that, um, like the incentive to stay out of jail, he said things about healthcare services, services for the poor, homeless shelters, it would keep a lot of people away from that. And he estimates we could save a hundred, hundred to 200 billion right there. He said the fully auto, the full automation of our trucking industry, which, um, one of the interesting things that he said was that the kind of the trucks driven by a computer, they're they can't do well in urban areas right but they'll do it across the countryside so when it goes from the east coast to the west coast that's the part that's going to be automated and he estimated that um, he said this is going to happen in like five years it's going to be fully automated he said they're already doing the tests oh yeah and the trucks got it you know they can already do like 98 percent. it is crazy so he said that was going to save 160 billion dollars a year just automating it because a truck that's automated can drive 24-7. A person, he said a truck driver legally cannot drive more than 14 hours a day. So it's already a huge improvement on productivity. So he said all the productivity that comes with automation is going to save us a ton of money. But it's just going to put a lot of people out of work. Well, and then essentially also, if I'm not mistaken, kind of an underlying idea here is that if a company is going to automate a task right. and then fire the people who did that task, right. they're going to end up paying in a way they're paying wages to the robots and those wages are going to go into funding the yeah it's like a value-added tax yeah so we don't have that here but i know they have it in europe so what he was saying is that if we added a value-added tax at half of what europeans have uh on companies that had the automation that would be 800 billion dollars in revenue right there so he was saying he was saying that the the whole cost of his system would be if I'm not mistaken, it would be 1.8 trillion 
So out of the 1.8 trillion, that's how much this would cost is 1.8 trillion. He said if he did a VAT tax that was half of what Europe's levels are at, that would that would cover 800 billion. He says the the other trillion would stay in the economy. Actually, it would just keep going around because people would spend that money. Right. You know, it's not like uh, it's not disappearing. We're poor. We get it's our thousand dollars. Yeah, we're not, it's gonna... not going overseas. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, Chris, I just got my thousand dollar check. I'm gonna open up a bank account in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so might buy gold. And um. Right. So he says when you start adding up all these things, the money that's saved from trucking, stuff like that, the VAT tax, it really, it's not, we're not losing $1.8 trillion. You know, he's really got, um, he's got a way of thinking of the future economy that is truly futuristic. You know, it's a new kind of economy. It's, um, at, you know, I feel like politicians by and large, and, you know, intellectuals in general, they seem to approach the problems of the future with right. methods of the past. And right. to me that just like, I don't, you know, that's counterintuitive, right? Yeah. Cause it's something new. He, he emphasizes, he said that this is something that we have this never brand faced. New. It's a new, yeah. It's we like, we have no idea how to deal with this. Well, he does uh, reference the industrial revolution and the creative destruction that that brought. Right. And that even brought on riots and yeah. things like that. So, yeah, actually I followed him. I started following him on Facebook and he posted something, and it was a, a protest on a highway in Indiana, and all these truckers got out, and they blocked up a lane on an Indiana highway. Hmm. So sort of this kind of disgruntled feeling is already happening. Yeah. Um, he basically says that we have like 11 years to deal with this. And, you know, we got to start thinking about this. And the interesting thing is that when he talks to politicians about this, um, they, their first response is we can't talk about that. That's, he, he said that scared the hell out of him. The second response is, uh, we need to retrain people. And then when he would kind of spew the statistics about how retraining doesn't work, they would say, oh, well, we'll just get better at retraining. <laughs> he said the third thing they said is, oh, well, we need to do more research. Yeah. So that's not good at all. So one of the intriguing things about him, maybe more intriguing than the Freedom Dividend, is just the fact that he's even talking about this. Because nobody else is talking about this. Well, you know, it's just like, I see a lot of parallels here with um, Ron Paul, actually. Because what Ron Paul did is he went, he ran for, you know, presidential candidate of the Republican Party. The best thing that came out of that was him spreading awareness of things at this, you know, he was just like Andrew Yang. He was addressing issues that no one else would address, looming things, you know, that are just over the horizon that are going to come and come down like a ton of bricks. He's talking about something completely different than that. Right. Um, Although I'd say the things that Ron Paul warned about were completely viable. This is also viable and is even more futuristic in a sense where it's like we, you know, no one really saw this coming, I don't think. No. The same thing with, like, you know, do you remember when 3D printing started? Right. I happened to learn about it before most people around me, and I loved going around telling people about it because they didn't believe me. Wow. They did not believe me. I was reading, like, I came across an article in, like, I don't know, Science Magazine, and it was like, yeah, they 3D printed a model of a Stradivarius violin, moving parts and everything, and it sounds great. Stories like that. And people would be like, 3D printing? And I'm like, yeah. Wow. And they, they, they didn't believe me. And we were already at the point where they were doing amazing things with it. Right. And the future, <laughs> the future that's going to be amazing, too. You know? Like, they, they've brought uh, stem cells into that, where, or they're at least in the research phase of that, where it's like, you know, oh they might God. be 3D printing new body parts for people. Jesus. But and it, my point is is that no one sees these things right. coming, even when they're here. They're here and they're right. knocking at the door, and we're still. What is this tendency for people to be so blind? I don't know. Well, that's what he was. That's what Andrew Yang was pointing out. He said this is inevitable. He says we're in the midst of it. We have nothing to lose by even discussing it or even implementing some kind of policy. Is better than none. Mm-hmm. He says the longer that we wait, the worse it's going to be. Like the more of an, it's going to have a huge impact. It's going to change our lives no matter what. 
what he's advocating is just something to kind of soften the blow. It's not as he admits it's not a solution. He said there's no way to avoid it. There's no way getting around this. He said even people thinking that it should be outlawed, that automation should be illegal, he said that's just going to make us less productive. Yeah. I would even go far to say that other countries would automate. And I also think and surpass us. I also think there's this element to automation that is um even if it takes your job, it's ultimately freeing for human beings yeah, to not have to, to do. Out yeah, else. you know, let's think like honestly, automation is just this logical extension of all this technological process we've had over like right. a couple hundred years. Right. You know when um, you're saying it would it push a lot of people out of mediocre jobs that they probably shouldn't have in the first place. I would go or as far that as to at say least, that. You know what? Or their time is coming that jobs no longer needed. Right. In the same way that, like, you know, you've got farming equipment. It forces you to push yourself. Yeah. Well, you, like, nowadays we've got uh, farming equipment that, like, plows the field and does, you know, the harvesting. Where back in the day before that technology existed, you'd have hundreds of people working in the fields by hand. What's better? Yeah. Do you really want to move backwards? I do think no, some people are naive enough to think that we should move backwards because it's some kind of idealized state well, of We can't sustain what we have if we, went, if we did that. But yeah, I mean, it's ultimately safer to automate a lot of these things, and yeah, and you know, it, the truck driving. A lot of people die from accidents, man, on the highway. Oh yeah, and it saves some lives. It's dangerous to drive even for fourteen hours straight in a day. Yeah, um, but then again, it's like these people's. It's these people's livelihoods. But you know what? I mean, at one point in time, someone's livelihood was owning slaves. We didn't, I mean, you know, we yeah. didn't, that didn't stop us from ending slavery. You know, it's like these things are improvements, even if they do destroy the past in the process. Like right. that's just kind of what it means to move into the future. Yeah. I think that our generation or even all the generations existing right now, sort of in the zeitgeist is this idea that we're, we're like removed from history. We're already at the finish line. Like we're already yeah. in the future. I see what you're saying. Um, and we're not, we're not there yet. And we're forget. you know what I mean? it's like, we're, we're all just kind of lying to ourselves about where we are in history. Like we don't even look at it like we're in history. Right. It's like, no, we're still in it. We don't, we don't acknowledge we're in a process. Yeah. We don't acknowledge that. We think we're at, we're at a pinnacle and a lot of, I think that's where a lot of like the arrogance and uh, naivete st- stems from. Jeez. Is that we're just, we're clueless. We're being, we're act. you know, I don't know. But um, that's kind of his his main thing is the freedom dividend, and there were some other things because obviously mm-hmm. I'm interested in foreign policy because I can't imagine if this guy became president what he would do in the foreign policy realm. You know what I mean? Because he just doesn't have the experience. Well, he did bring up Russia, right? Uh, yeah, he did. So there was a few things that he said overall. Like he talked about immigration. He said he said obviously he's pro immigration because his parents are immigrants and they found a successful life here. But he did say that, yeah, he, he believes in securing the borders, especially when you're going to be giving out a thousand dollars a month. Oh yeah, you know. So he was for a wall, but he wasn't anti-immigrant. Was he for a wall, or did he just use the term "secure borders"? Because I think there's a big difference between building I a think wall. He, I want to say and that, securing the border. I think he mentioned both. Yeah, I think he mentioned it was a national security priority. I mean, I, I'd agree that you you know we want to. You definitely you want to keep bad people out, and you also want to bring good people in. And right. I remember him actually, you know, I heard a little bit of him talking, and it's like, I remember him saying, like, it's a convoluted system we have for immigration, Yeah, and it ends up, it just, it doesn't work. You know, in general, yeah. it just doesn't work. And even if you have, like, the, what you might call the good people coming in, wherever they're coming from in the world, right? The, the people that are trying to come in and be entrepreneurs, they're they're, they're college educated, and they would come in and automatically enrich the economy just by being here. Oh, you know what else he they're, brought up? They, they have roadblocks. Remember, he brought up. Um, I don't know if you heard this one, but he talked about students that come and study here. They just this, send them right back to where they came from. I think that's yeah. Here after I think that's graduate. what I was getting at. Yeah. So we educate them, and then we just send them back to another country where they start a business. So we can't, we send these kids back to India, to China. Well, so we, we should, educate them. We should them. let them stay. Yeah, that's, that's what he was saying. saying. Yeah, That's completely backwards. I didn't know that. I'm really, um, I'm looking forward to see how this plays out um, for him. You know what I'm saying? Like, because if you remember with Ron Paul. Yeah, he was vilified. He was vilified. He got screwed in the debates where they gave well, they, him a they're saying that the this time. guy. They're saying this guy, he's having trouble getting onto the debate stage. 
Yeah. So I guess a lot of people are, you know, like him. He's kind of got a buzz going. But that still doesn't guarantee him a seat on a debate stage. Still doesn't guarantee him any talking time, even if he gets there. You know what's funny is I bet you there's going to be... Someone's going to steal his idea? and You think? Well, I think there's going to be critics who say his ideas aren't viable. They're going to say that they're too crazy. Meanwhile, those same people are probably going to be the people who think the Green New Deal is great. Is going to be like, you know, he's he's actually got some like tenable solutions, you know, and and, it, and he's realistic about them, right. and they're not based in ideology. Well, he's he's all for the democracy dollars too, where everyone gets a hundred dollars to donate to a campaign. That's so that it, so that yeah. it knocks off, you know, some of the big rich people, and yeah, and the, yeah. the super PACs and the corporate donors, them, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. kind of like that idea, too. But I feel like, you know, the same way the Democratic caucus screwed over Bernie Sanders yeah. in favor of Hillary Hillary right. Clinton, like, I, I can't even imagine, like... The, what they would do to him. He, You know, he can get shut down quick. But, I mean, there's, I, there's always hope for someone you can... Like, he seems like he's smart. Right. I wouldn't say the same thing about Bernie Sanders. I'm sorry. I think Bernie Sanders is just a typical career politician who actually has capitalized on his um, spreading of democratic socialism. You know, he right. doesn't. You know, I'm not saying he's stupid, but yeah, that's what he is. And, he, and he's just no. he's an old dinosaur who's a career politician. I think that Andrew Yang's got a lot more going for him. As he's far practical, as, yeah. Like Bernie Sanders is more ideology, like way deep in the oh, hundred and ten percent. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think any of those people are per se stupid. But to answer your question about Russia, his stance on Russia, Andrew Yang's, was that um, he pretty much said, Russia, if you don't turn off your bots by this date, you know, like the the Twitter bots and all the the hacking and stuff, Mm -hmm. he said that there would be a powerful response, a strong response from the United States. I don't know what that really means, but it seemed like he's, you know, pretty stringent. He seems to be like somebody that knows a lot of people in Silicon Valley. He might know a bit about tech himself. Um. You know, the but. thing is, the funny thing about our uh, election process, even if you're not a politician, like Angie Yang's not a politician, right? right? Not no, yet. No, You have to become one just to run, right? You gotta, yeah. you have to yeah. say certain things so that you don't get written off. Right. You gotta, you gotta touch on the things that the people are worried right. about, you know? I think it's a fair question. If you're running for president, you are going to have to deal with foreign policy. You are going to have to deal with, like, defense he would potentially be the i mean he'd potentially be the commander-in-chief of the armed forces with absolutely no military background yeah well donald trump's got (laughs) i would say i'd say trump has less military background just in the sense that at least andrew yang is like like i (laughs) just just looking like if you just put pictures of them who do you respect more? Like just yeah. looking at these people, like I don't know. Donald Trump doesn't have a lick of military background, right? And then Barack Obama didn't either, like right. none whatsoever. Oh, this is this is a few right. a few other things. There's a few other things that are very interesting that he said. You're gonna like this one, maybe. Um, he said he would go away from GDP as a measurement of economic prosperity. Oh yeah, yeah. I wanted to. T- yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that because. Um, I'm a little hazy on what the GDP is. Okay. I know it stands for gross domestic give, product. Right. I don't know if I can give you like a textbook definition per se that everyone would agree with, but basically gross domestic product, basically it's a dollar amount on, on all the goods and services produced in the United States. Mm-hmm. That's basically what that is. So the problem with it is um, you, a country could take, out massive loans, go into massive debt and spend it, pump it into their economy, use it to produce more stuff, and it would actually make the GDP grow quite a bit. Uh, so it's not... Meanwhile, it's the country's of, in debt, and yeah, it's, it's like it's, kicking the can down the road. It's and, sort of like the unemployment rate. Like right now, the unemployment rate, they say, is the lowest that it's ever been. That's true, but the problem is, is that the unemployment rate doesn't take into account people that are not actively searching for jobs. So maybe a labor labor force, yeah, yeah. the labor force participation rate is a better marker. And Andrew Yang actually mentioned that ours is like at 63%, which is we're there. We're right next to like Guatemala and like El Salvador. What? Yeah. Did you hear that part? No. Yeah. So our labor force participation rate 
is like a Central American country, like a third world country, basically. Wow. So we're really weird. We have, there's like supposedly seven, eight, ten million jobs out there. Unfilled? Yeah. Yeah. But there's no one participating and we have tons you know, of and debt. I think that's because, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of that is because, you know, young people come out of high school and instead of going into a trade, they, they go, go to college. college. Yeah. So I would say like probably seven million. No, let's put it this way. Let's say it's seven million jobs out there right now. That I would say five. I'd say five and a half are probably like trades. Yeah, and it's been that way for several years now. Wow. Like Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. You ever seen that show? Yeah, oh yeah. Love you know Mike that. Rowe. You know that guy has addressed Congress like several times to oh, talk about this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I love his his whole philosophy is, uh, you know, let's get rid of this stigma for blue collar work. Yeah. Um, likewise, let's get rid of this way. We put college education on a pedestal. Right. College is not for everyone. Blue collar work is not for everyone, but everything's for someone. And we need these blue collar yeah. jobs filled because honestly, first of all, that stuff is the backbone of our civilized right. society. Like it's the backbone right. of us having running water, working automobiles. Yeah. Electricity, every, all the tangible things that right. <laughs> you yeah. pull, you pull that rug out from under us. Suddenly we're all... Th- yeah, this freezing. is also the road to nerfdom right here. Is the right. fact that we we're comfortable, but it could be taken away from us so fast. Yeah, but yeah, it's there's no shame in being a plumber, or right. there shouldn't be at least. And some people actually make they fortunes. Make more. Yeah, they make more doing that, and they work. Than they would coming out of yeah, they work their asses off, but they make they could you know potentially you can make a lot of money, or at the very least you make enough. To live that American dream, right? Home ownership, enough to raise a family. Right. And it's hard work, but it's necessary work. You know, you could could make the case that plumbers have saved more lives than doctors. And why is that? Because having a properly functioning plumbing system prevents a lot of disease. Right. We take that for granted. Right. You know? I feel like there's nothing wrong with at least exploring trade, see what you like. They should do that more in high school. They used to do that a yeah, lot more in high school. they don't do schools. that anymore. Yeah. Trade schools. They used to have trade right. schools. Vocational You'd school. You'd go into yeah. high school with the purpose of exploring a trade. Yeah. Welding. I've, dude, yeah, actually, man, I'm 30 years old now, and I'm thinking about going into certain trades. Like, I'd love to learn how to weld. You know, even whether or not I found a, a job doing it, I, I kind of think it's cool. I'm artistic. I would look into doing, like, metal sculpture. But I'd like to learn how to weld. I wish I learned a trade. I don't think it would cost that much. I don't think it would take that long. It doesn't. And that's the thing. It's like, it it is pennies on the the dollar. Yes. Pennies on the dollar. Less time probably too, depending on what it is. And meanwhile, you know, college didn't even used to be that expensive. No. And we can get into that now, but that might be a topic for another episode. Another thing. (laughs) I'll say one more thing about Andrew Yang. Um, He mentioned two more things. He said that he would raise pay for federal uh, regulators but he would limit their time in the private sector after office. That would be one of the rules that he'd put in. Okay, now here's that I like half like. No, it's like a 60-40 split. I 40% like that. And 60% think bull because bovine scat. Because I don't know if giving regulators more money is going to prevent them from being corrupted. Right. Because I almost kind of think like anyone in government's already paid too much. Right. If we throw more money at them, they'll just think, okay, more money. I'm still going to exploit my position. I guess the part that was more intriguing to me is that limiting their time in the private sector after they leave office. That's the 40%. Cuz you got a lot of you got a lot of lo- like a people becoming lobbyists after they they serve in Congress. That's a big problem. I think it should be more of a limit. If anything, it should be like an outright ban. Honestly, you know, personally, I think that the real solution to this is um breaking up the regulatory function for the most part i mean i believe in a few regulations but break it up so that you just don't have that kind of power that private interests can wrestle away he had another interesting idea i'm not sure if i like the government getting involved in it but he said that he would create a government office to quote deal with the psychological effects on addict on the addictive nature of media unquote i think that if you made a government office to deal with that it would get worse yeah, they'd, they'd understand how it works more. And they would. Oh, God. So I'm not too sure on that, but I have to tell you, after listening to what he had to say, I kind of like the idea, 
but I would have taken his idea to the extreme. I would have taken, I would have had universal basic income replace Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. Yeah, replace the hundred twenty-five. Yeah. yeah, right. And the interesting thing, I did a little homework on this. I don't know if you knew this, but just the administrative cost of Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security every year is slightly above twenty billion just to run it. Just to run it. Just to run it. You mean just the cost of paying the administration? Who run it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you give the government $10 to go help people, a dollar that's getting through to the other side. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The administrative cost, no one thinks about that. When they want the government to solve a problem, right. uh, remember that government employees are not volunteers, and they actually make a lot of money. Good money they make good you money. You can't really get fired. So that's that was my point. That's why I wanted to take it further. Because then instead of having 120-something socialist programs, we can just have one big one. And the administrative costs over the whole system would be lower. Mm-hmm. It's it's very simple. Everyone over eighteen gets a thousand bucks. Simple. Do what you need right. to do with it. So that's what I I don't think he could get away with campaigning on something that extreme. I don't think he could get away with that. I, I was just you thinking that too. Yeah, it's like yeah. we we might be able to sit here and pick it apart and think of ways that it would be more optimal. But at the same time, it's like he does need to get elected. And you know what's good? You know what's kind of crazy? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare, you know, his plan costs $1.8 trillion. Mm-hmm. I feel that Medicaid, Medi- Medicare, and Social Security, those three alone, that probably is $1.8 trillion right there or close to it, like $1.7, I want to say. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I but... mean, that makes sense. So... In theory, if he if that happened, if he actually did that, and then he put that VAT tax with the other eight hundred billion, you could probably give everybody more than a thousand dollars a month, and then maybe over time decrease it. You know what I mean? To kind of wean people off of it, get one big socialist program, yeah, implement it, and then slowly reduce it over time. That's what that's just that's just brainstorming for me. You know, I feel like we have to. Um... When we consider his ideas, you know, we have to consider them within a vacuum, meaning we have to give a little uh, willful right. suspension and disbelief about the fact that we're already in so much debt. Yeah. Did you know that? $22 trillion, That's, I guess... That's how much debt? That's how much debt we're at now. Roughly, right. and, and, and counting, right? I just want to point out that $22 trillion seconds ago... How long do you think 22 trillion seconds is? Oh, man. A thousand years ago? Uh, no? Dude, I don't know. Way more than that, dude. 100,000? 22 trillion seconds ago is like in the ballpark of like 700,000. Wow. 700,000 years ago. Wow. And around that time was the last time the super volcano under Yellowstone erupted. <laughs> My God, that's in seconds, man. You know, if you made a dollar a second, you'd have to wait that long to be able wow. to cover the debt that we're sitting in right now, and it's not slowing down. You know, our government, our government has a spending problem and not a revenue problem. Because if you confiscated right. all the wealth, all of the wealth from all the millionaires and billionaires, it's so just them, it wouldn't be enough no. to run the government for an entire year. One year. So clearly our right. problem... It's spending. Yeah, it's And then the debt problem. grows too with the interest and people are profiting off of that. Yeah. But I just like this guy, man. It's just something <laughs> fresh. I like him too. Yeah, for sure. He is fresh. And I, I, I imagine... I like see what happens. He I imagine that I don't... I'm not going to like anyone else. Of the 20, I'm, there's I'm 20 guessing. people running on the Democratic... Trying to go for this Democratic presidential bid. I bet you they all suck. Except for Angie Yang. We'll uh, see. Tulsi, I don't know, man. Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard's Gabbard? foreign policy much. sounded interesting to me. She I don't just know wanted like a full. She just wanted a full exit from the Middle East. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a catch twenty two for us, but I think it's going to be interesting to follow what this Andrew Yang has to say. I hope that he gets up on the debate stage at, at the least, very least. Yes, at least. Yeah, I'd be pretty angry if I didn't even see him up there. <laughs> yeah, I'd be angry too, and I'm not even sitting here saying like. I'm on the bandwagon, you know? 
Right. But obviously, I see we somebody need, new. We need the a more you know well measured voices. Out Look, there. I don't I don't watch the news, but I've seen a couple quotes and the little video clips of like Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, and it's just kind of like it's just some more Obama type. I don't know. It's more like Hillary Clinton, Obama type stuff. We already know what Bernie's about. Well, you mentioned Tulsi Gabbard. Isn't she a Republican? No, she's Democrat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hawaii? Hawaii. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that suck? You're, you're, uh. You gotta keep flying? You gotta fly from. Yeah, I'd be like, I'm in Hawaii. I'm staying here. Yeah. <laughs> I'll Skype you people. <laughs> to go on the Capitol Hill? That probably costs a lot of money. Imagine what they. Yeah. Well, no, no kidding, man. And that's Alaska one thing. Too. It's like government's like the last to catch up with technology. The fact that we don't yeah. we, we don't vote online. I mean, I could imagine how that gets like. You could hack that into could that, that probably. Hacked. Yeah. Yeah, but people are already hacking into what we're doing now. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The democracy dollars sounded cool. Democracy dollars. Everyone gets a hundred bucks to donate to a campaign. I don't even know if it necessarily has to be. Well, I'd yeah, start I kind of like it. I'd start my own campaign just to keep the hundred dollars. <laughs> no, I think one of the requirements you have to spend it somewhere. You'd have to pick somebody. Right. It could be anybody. It could be me. I'll just start a campaign. Oh, so I see what you're saying. Vote be... for me. Send me your hundred dollars. Yeah. Be careful. You might win. You might become popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get picked off. But no, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to follow uh, what Mr. Yang has to say. I'm looking forward to, uh, yeah, watching that unfold. Yeah, I actually kind of want to see him debate these other people. Absolutely. I want to see where that goes. Because he's talking about something that's so left field, out of left field for some of these people. I don't even know if they'd have a response to him. However, in my opinion, the the debates that I've seen in all of my adult life involving Politicians, I don't even classify those as debates. It almost they just get little sound bites. They get little sound bites in. They're just they're peddling slogans. That you listen to the things they say, and it's like they're not really giving you any information at all. Yeah, I like the long form. I want to see somebody talk for like one to three hours to really get grilled, just one on one. That's what I want to see. Because <laughs> everyone can practice their little, you know, their little nice answer. You know, their 30-second answer, right? The smile and nod, give a thumbs up type of thing. America's kind great. catchphrase. Yeah. Typical, stereotypical answer. Well, we're about 51 minutes into this, Mike. Oh, you I want to wrap it up? Yeah, we're out of time here. Thanks for listening, All folks. Right, thanks, everybody. The Road to Nerfdom. Tell your friends.